0: Hi, and welcome to the 54th Womanthology podcast. My name is Fiona Tatten, and I'll be your host. Womanthology is the digital magazine and professional community powered by female energy and ingenuity. We champion equal recognition and reward for everyone, sharing opportunities, ideas, and a deep pool of collective wisdom, supporting each other to be unstoppable. In this episode I'll be chatting with Katie Neap, Gender Equality Campaign Director at Business in the Community, a charity and membership organisation dedicated to responsible business, campaigning with members to help them continually grow their responsible business practices. Katie shares the work she's been doing with colleagues in the skills and inclusion space, as well as giving an overview of the work colleagues in BITC's advisory arm are doing too. Inesh Santos is away, so I will be talking you through the new content in the written issue again on her behalf. A quick reminder that you sign up for the Warm Anthology newsletter by filling in your details on the front page of our website, that's warmanthology.co.uk. You can also join our LinkedIn community by visiting linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash and find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to the Womanthology podcast. We have Katie Neat, and she is the Gender Equality Campaign Director at Business in the Community. Welcome to the podcast, Katie. How are you? Thank you, Fiona. Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you. Well, it's great to be speaking with you today, and probably one of our biggest podcasts of the year, International Women's Day. So I'm going to start off, if it's okay, by finding a bit about you, Katie. Who is Katie? And if you could tell us about your educational background and career to date. Yeah, definitely. So I actually I
1: thought it's quite interesting in the sense of where I've ended up, but my school career started at a little comprehensive just outside of York, which was actually started by Joseph Rountree. So i got a bit of a foundation into what a responsible employer could be, because Rountree obviously built libraries, they built houses for their employees, so kind of got a foundation for actually how that relationship between employers and employees could work right from comprehensive. Did history at uni, mostly because I'm interested in history, interested to understand, learn from our mistakes to try and not repeat them. Sadly, not something that always works in the world, but definitely something I carried with me. And then went to the home of Yorkshire Tea. So tea and cake a very important part of my life. But actually, again, another good grounding in what responsible business can mean, what it means to work beyond The product or the service that you're giving and to work actually in service of your employees as much as in service of tea and cake in Betty's and Taylor's and then found my way to business in the community actually on a bit of a journey of responsible business starting out very much in our community and our community investment team into employment and education and now into gender so yeah that's a potted history but with a bit of a thread
0: well wonderful we are very glad that you're here we've spoken with colleagues before so the fabulous Sandra Kerr we spoke with her going back to 2022 and I think we'd previously spoken to her even before that as well so I will link back to that piece in the show notes so people can get a sense of that as well but for people who've missed that could you just remind us about BITC and the work that you do and kind of the scope and there's because there's different strands to that as well so I think that's quite interesting for context yeah
1: so I guess one of the easiest ways to, to think about business in the community is that we're a charity. So we're born just over 40 years ago. And really, we're about what is good work? How do you ensure good work for everybody and also for the planet? And how can we work with employers across everything they do from, so you've spoken to Sandra, she heads up our race campaign through how they support yeah, race racial integration in the workplace, how we look at gender equality in the workplace, how we look at disability, so actually how can you look at inclusion across the workplace, but also importantly how you can support employers in local communities, be that that they're going to grow into that community or they have to exit for whatever reason, how can you support that community, but also importantly how can they ensure that we don't kill off our planet, something which is sadly all too real And and what is the role of the employer in that? So if you like, we're trying to ensure that work works for everybody who's at work, but also people entering work and importantly for the planet so that we've got somewhere to continue to work and live. Which
0: is quite important. I will will say that. (laughs) I I like the way that the the different strands do sit alongside each other and link together as well. So I suppose it's it's that kind of combined strength of all of those aspects together as well in the organisation.
1: Yeah, yes, completely. And I think that is one of the unique roles of business in the community, that it isn't just about looking at one single area. It is about understanding those intersections and how all of those areas interlink. And I think that's been really interesting recently around some of the work we've done in the environment and actually looking at skills and inclusion. And actually, we're not going to solve the problem of reaching net zero if we don't ensure that that's an inclusive journey and that everybody is, is part of that. And we understand the impact on everyone's job, but also the way that they live and work. So I think that's been really interesting. But it's also that BITC isn't just about campaigning for that change or calling on businesses to make that change. We also then do work with our members. We support employers. So we have an advisory arm that's able to almost take some of that best practice and walk side by side with some of our members to say, actually, this is how you then implement the change, because I think that can be one of the biggest problems it's you know okay to point out that there's a challenge but actually how do they make that change and how can we be part of that journey to help them take that action so I guess that's another unique role that we play here at BITC.
0: Yeah and I think most businesses well most you would hope want to do the right thing but sometimes they don't always know how to go about that so hoping that most businesses touch wood got that at their heart so it's yeah I mean
1: we would definitely hope that anyone who signs up for membership of BITC has at least you know considered that as their commitment since that's what we're here to do so yeah
0: and if we're trying to imagine you on a day-to-day basis in your role as gender equality campaign manager what are we imagining you doing
1: quite a lot of meetings conversations so I have a lot of conversations be that with Businesses, trying to talk to them about some of our latest campaigns or just to understand what's front and centre for them on gender equality, what's actually going on, what do they see as the challenges. So, meeting with them, engaging with them, helping and signposting individuals either to events or information that we've got, but also helping to build that campaign. There's quite a bit of creativity. So, working with the team then to try to understand, okay, we've identified they caring gap as a big challenge. How are we going to bring that to life? What does that look like? And importantly, how do we help to convert that into real business change? So is that a communications campaign? Is that a piece of research? Do we think there's a gap of knowledge that we really need to understand? Or is that about maybe a tool that can help employers create the culture change? So lots of time with the team thinking about how do we generate that change and then what's the 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 best way forward and then let's be honest typically there's quite a lot in my inbox which I then need to respond to so that's probably a, a last thing of the day what is it that I need to respond to today and just get back to and try and keep on top of but yeah overall it's a very interesting and varied job with quite a lot of talking which
0: I quite like That's good. We like talking, too. Well, it would be a very (laughs) quiet podcast if we didn't like talking, wouldn't it? So you're in the right place. And what sort of campaigns are you working on at the
1: moment? Well, I did sort of trail this, I guess, with (laughs) with my previous answer. So our e-campaign that we're focused on right now is something called Who Cares? So last year on International Women's Day, actually, we launched a piece of research that we had worked on with Ipsos Mori alongside them really looking at what is the state of the nation, if you like, in terms of working care currently in the UK. So a big piece of research that we launched, which really showed us unsurprisingly, actually, for most of us, that working and caring is the norm. So 44% of people who responded had some kind of caring responsibility, could be for children, could be for an older adult, could be for working age adult, or actually sandwich carers now becoming increasingly the norm. So people at both ends of the spectrum, if you like. So with that, it is normalized. But actually, what is the impact in the workplace? And sadly, and probably unsurprisingly to you and your listeners, is that it is women that are bearing the brunt of some of the impacts of trying to balance work and care. And actually within that piece of research, we did find that six in 10 of those women with care and responsibilities say it's prevented them from applying for a job or a promotion compared to two in 10 of the male carers. And actually that increases to one in two carers from Black, Asian, mixed race and other ethnically diverse backgrounds. And sadly that one in five women had left the job due to those difficulties with balancing working care. So Sadly, whilst we're seeing that whilst the research demonstrated that working care is the norm and actually 94% of respondents across all genders said it shouldn't be the gendered responsibility, the reality playing out in the ground as those statistics talk to is that it's women predominantly and ethnic minorities who are facing the biggest barriers in terms of progression, which we then know as a knock on in terms of gender pay gap, ethnicity pay gap and Pensions gap. So, we really wanted to hone in on this in terms of gender equality because we believe that employers can make actually quite a lot of acceleration to change this. They have a key role to play, both through their policies and their programs, but also through culture change. And they could help to unlock this to enable 44% of people are saying they have some kind of caring responsibility. Actually, How do you ensure that everybody, regardless of gender, regardless of race, is able to access the support and feels that that support is for them so that they're not prevented from going for progression or sadly, as we see from those statistics, leave the workplace. So that's our core focus at the moment is really how can we drive action? We had four recommendations, which included um, really trying to get more employers to bring equality to their policies, so introduce things like equal parental leave. So we think there's about 38 large employers in the UK who offer equal parental leave, not to be confused with shared parental leave. Equal parental leave is about birthing and non-birthing partner being offered the same time at the same rate, not one of them having to give up any of their time off. So it is about equality. So bringing that equity to policies like equal parental leave, but also into your carers' leave. But importantly. Actually, how can you create a culture that enables more men to care? Because actually, let's be honest, if we could enable more men to care to make it normal for all genders, then actually you wouldn't see so many women hopefully making some of the economic choices that they do. And also importantly, create that culture. So we have a bit of a saying that culture eats policy for breakfast. So lots of employers have amazing policies that that live on a shared cloud now not in a filing cabinet but on a cloud somewhere which most people can't access or think isn't for them until you're promoting and living out those values that vision and demonstrating through role models senior but not just senior role models throughout the organization that it is possible to take leave to to flex your work around your wider responsibilities and it's not going to have an impact on your career until that is ingrained You could have the greatest policy in the world, but it's not going to create that shift we need to see on some of those
0: statistics I mentioned before. I'm going to sneak in an extra question here, which I hope is okay. In terms of things like pandemic, presumably that's had an impact as well, because normally it's the minorities or the underrepresented groups that are disproportionately impacted. Is that the the case in the research that you found?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, our research obviously came out post well, post, during, what was last year? Post, pre, mid, tail end of pandemic. So I guess it captured the pre and the height of the pandemic years. I think what's interesting is that the Office for the National T- Statistics, hard for me to say, released data in January that talked about the unemployed and unemployment rates. And of the, I think it's the age, 25 to 49, 1.1 million of those who aren't working currently cited care as the reason. And of that 1.1 million, 1 million are women. And I think that is actually interesting. We've seen a growth for the first time in 30 years, I believe, of women leaving, citing care. And I think that the pandemic has obviously played into that, but also the cost of living crisis, importantly. And if you do look at it, caring and the cost of caring, be that childcare or actually caring for an older adult is, is costly. It costs a lot of money and is rising. And we're seeing that have an impact in the sense of some of those economic decisions that that families have to make. And sadly, still, typically a woman is often earning less or has taken that primary caring role and so will step back and either go part time or will leave the workplace because it just doesn't make economic sense so i think we are seeing an impact in terms of the pandemic but i guess to give i don't know the other side the rainbow side of that you could argue that what we're also seeing whilst not all jobs can be done remotely or hybridly or at home, the pandemic definitely offered an insight into the other world of workers, including men or non-birthing partners, who their, their family life was on display. And actually, they have demystified some of that belief that you have to be in the office. So I think it's offered us that opportunity and that chance to really question Where you work, but actually, fundamentally, we need to move that question on from where you work to when you work and why you work. And actually, if we're looking at more of an output based model, that would then unlock, I think, ideas around flexibility that go beyond do I need to be in my office in central London or can I stay at home? We need to move it, shift it beyond that to actually see some of that impact and for it to resonate across maybe jobs and sectors that, you know, working from home is just not an option.
0: Yeah. And I suppose uh, the government wants to get more people into work or they're saying too many people are leaving work or whatever. But actually if you're looking for any sort of flexibility, it's very, very hard. So part-time work is more likely to be lower paid or yeah. or also things like job share. It's very difficult if you want to find a job share. Incredibly yeah. difficult to do something like that. So what I'd really like to see would be people enabling more of this if you want this talent there's loads of talent that's there isn't there in the economy yeah. we're sort of saying there's shortages and skill shortages and there's the great resignation yeah and, and what have you but actually i think most people would really want to work if they yeah. could but it's just they're they've not got the option they've not got the flexibility sometimes that they need perhaps yeah No, completely.
1: And I think it's a really interesting and relevant conversation. So a phrase that's going around at the moment in our world, if you like, is like, it's all about job design and how do you really embed this into job design? And I think for me, there's a real big and back to that point around like policies versus culture. So there is also government legislation, potentially, she's touching every piece of wood, just so you know, around me going through that we should realise early next year which is the right to request flexible working from day one now we could have a whole podcast debating the word request as opposed to just the right but anyway that's for another day but that what that interestingly will mean is that employers have to provide a reason as to why a job couldn't be done flexibly they also need to almost list from day one, the types of flexibility that they have on offer, which I think to your point will open up and make just a bit more obvious those job share opportunities or part time, or at least start to build that conversation. Now, my problem is that still goes back to, it's really on the onus of the individual to be asking. And if you're trying to negotiate a job and it depends you are and you've got lots of other things are you going to ask that and actually as our who cares data shows and suggests if you're a woman and if you're from a black asian mixed race or other ethnically diverse background you're less likely to ask for it and in some cases less likely to have it accepted so actually couldn't we start looking at and there are employers who are doing this building it into things like performance and development conversations why can't a line manager say okay we've just agreed all of your outputs for the year and where you're going to develop now let's talk about how you're going to best achieve that what does that look like and so the conversation is brought to you rather than you always having to think I need to request this so then you can start to work together to co-design some of those solutions and really think smartly but yes I think You're right, part-time very much suffers from being low pay, kind of low skill, low progression. And we need to see more part-time jobs that actually are across the spectrum and opportunities. And we also need to see job share a bit more relevant within boardrooms on execs as well as, you know, throughout all different levels. Because I think until we start to see it being a bit more normalised, it's still going to be seen as a slightly well, that's really hard. That's too difficult to manage. HR are going to go crazy. It's a lot of paperwork or whatever. I think we just need to unearth some of those examples. And there are organisations that are doing that, and there are examples out there. So that's one of BITC's roles, I guess, of how we can amplify some of that good practice and that best practice in a way to help stretch other organisations to reach the nirvana
0: i suppose if organizations they want this talent it's there isn't it there loads of people are crying out for these opportunities but it's just actually we're sort of saying we need to get more people back into work well let's make it better and more accessible for people to do that they're not flexible enough i think they need to go further and people if you get on really well with your employer and they give you this flexibility you're going to stay with them aren't you
1: completely and i think to that point the work that we're trying to promote around flexibility obviously i'm looking at From a gender perspective, but actually, the intersectional benefits to if we achieved this level of flexible working, it would support so many groups of individuals people with chronic illnesses, people who are ill, people with a disability, others. And actually, I think we're seeing some interesting seeds. So, Aviva have done some work through work, actually, they've done on menopause. But one of the elements that they have looked at is I think it's called an adaptations passport. So if you think about it, in your line management can change however many times throughout your time, dependent on what's going on in an organization, and especially in a, a large organization. You don't necessarily want to have to keep disclosing this is my situation. These are the adaptations I've agreed because some flexibility doesn't require a kind of formal it might not be part-time it might be during the hours of three to five I need to just switch off and recoup and I'm going to go and you know do what I need to do in those periods and you've got a kind of informal arrangement through that adaptation passport that's recorded somewhere and it goes with you and you update that as you need to and you can flex it and around and I think ideas and initiatives and Things like that can only hopefully help and help change and also take that onus off. You as an individual have to keep coming and making a request and putting in the business case for it. Because, again, I think that's part of the exhaustion. It's part of the reason why people maybe say this is just too hard. I'm going to leave. Or maybe why if you get a change of line manager, and they haven't quite had their Damascus moment yet it should hopefully prevent that because there's a precedent you know it's worked for however long they don't need to to change it so yeah I think that there are some nuggets of interesting activity it's just how can we how can we make that the norm not just an exceptional case study
0: yeah absolutely I like that logo as well if you've seen that logo I'm allowed to mention working families I think originally it came from working families but they had a happy to talk flexible working logo which we still use on a lot of job ads for people actually because it's just giving you permission to have that conversation yeah they to, to say well yeah well we'll talk about it it's fine to talk about it we can't guarantee we're going to say yes but let's just yeah. have the conversation we're open to it but you know yeah. things like that
1: yeah completely and I think that is the only way I mean fundamentally if we're going to see the impact or the Change that we need to see to break down inequalities in the workplace. Then we need a culture shift, and that that isn't all going to come from business. But until, as you say, people are just up front going, "Yeah, let's have a chat, let's see what's possible," rather than, "Well, you're going to have to fill out this form, and we've never done it that way before." And I do think that's one of the things the pandemic perhaps was good for, because people did have to change. But it's just how long can we ride on that zeitgeist stuff? Do you remember those days where you thought we could never all work from home and yet yeah, here
0: we are? Yeah, yeah, it's possible. It's absolutely possible. It can be done. So tell me about the times list as well of the top employers. How does that work? Is that that's something that you're working on?
1: Yeah, so we have been part of running, if you like, the Times Top 50 Employers for what was women is now broadened out to Times Top 50 Employers for gender equality for ooh, 13 years now. And really, if you like, the list is the end part, an end product, not even an end product. It's like a moment within what we like to call the journey. So it is a list alphabetically of 50 employers who have demonstrated that they are taking action so they've got those policies and procedures but importantly that they can demonstrate that they've they've delivered some impact on areas across gender equality so touched on who cares which is our core focus but actually we work with employers across the full gender equality spectrum and for us that really is about tackling four inequalities which is pay power job security and harassment and discrimination. And if we could really change the dial on those four areas, we would hopefully see equality regardless of gender in the workplace. So the Time Stop 50 goes through a series of very robust questions that touch on all of those areas. We look at flexible working policies, we look at sexual harassment in the workplace, we look at family-friendly policies. We look at recruitment across, I guess, your experience of the workplace. How are you ensuring and enabling gender equality? And interestingly, how are you preventing some of those behaviours? So what we're very careful to say is the list isn't, here's the 50 employers that do this stupendously well and your experience will always be outstanding. The list is about recognising that those employers have committed to take action and to go on that journey, and that they are working, I guess definitely beyond legislation, but that they are working to the highest ability that they can to drive impact for the majority within their workplace, and we really do use that to support them those employers to action plan, so there's a whole group of employers who don't make the list. And actually, a lot of them say to us, that's even more valuable because what they get is independent assessment from experts. They get to be benchmarked against peers. They get to understand where some of their barriers or could do better if areas are, if you want. But also, I had a really interesting chat with one of the employers. who said, you know what, what the top 50 enables us to do is to accelerate those difficult conversations in our organisations. So there are individuals across every organisation who are trying to push forward change. And there's lots of different competing areas. I mean, I talked about all the areas that BITC covers. You know, businesses are required to look at net zero impact, to look at diversity across race, age, disability, LGBTQ plus gender. So they have competing priorities in, if you like, this space of responsible business alongside answering to shareholders the government, the wider community. So to keep conversations about how do we drive better gender equality in your workplace on the top of the agenda in those boardrooms, the Times Top 50 is a really great tool and employers say to us helps to accelerate some of those conversations. So I think it's a great way to showcase and celebrate people who are taking action, but more importantly and fundamentally for me, it's about enabling us to have that conversation around okay where do we need to put our focus now and for us as an organisation to draw those insights so to really understand if we really went hard on say caring or we looked at this area where could we accelerate that change so yeah it's an interesting process. And I think we've just had the cutoff for the data. Yes so Friday was Day for want of a better phrase for applications, so yeah, Friday 6 pm, put off, and we're now going into the assessment period. So, if any of my amazing, very experienced colleagues from our assessor team are listening, I thank you. You're probably heads down, but yeah, it's quite a tough process for everybody involved, but as it should be, I guess.
0: But shout out to them, hard work, shout out to them, definitely 100%. Can do it that <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to you and to them. Thank you so much. So, well, I'm now going to ask you my International Women's Day questions, if that's okay. So, yeah, International Women's Day, what does it mean to you and why is it so important for us to mark the day each year? So this year we are embracing equity. Why is it so important for us to mark the day? I think for me. It's not about saying, oh, today is the
1: day to talk about women and to have equity it's... to have men getting annoyed and saying what day is international, yeah, exactly. Men's When's day? international Men's day which i believe there is later on in the year so for me it's about giving space airtime and opportunity for us to i guess for me, there's a there's a whole thing about just taking stock and celebrating. I think there's something about working in a campaigning space, especially where it is very easy to get stuck on all the things that aren't working, all the things about the system that aren't fixed yet, and there are many. And the fight continues, but I think there's something quite glorious about International Women's Day of sharing those stories of success, celebrating and recognizing women whose shoulders I stand on, who I hope my daughter's shoulders will will stand on, will stand side to side, will bring the next generation through. I think that's empowering. I think it's inspirational. I think we need to do more of that. I think it also does offer a moment, I guess, back to accelerating difficult conversations. It does give us a moment to legitimately stop and enter the ears and the minds of people that might not often engage in this arena and actually say do you know what the system is still broken you probably think I don't know because we've had now three three female prime ministers in the UK so it's all fixed the top job has been done three times by women I can name a few female chief execs you know all of the things that we might get you've got the vote well done us all of the things that that might get Railed against you, you can do anything you want now, isn't the case. And without harping back to the statistics, we are at a bit of a point. Women are leaving the workplace because they cannot balance everything that is going on in their, their lives and work because we haven't got that flexibility, because we continue to ignore women's health and the impact that that has throughout, of our, throughout our careers. And I just think it gives that moment to enter spaces that don't spend time thinking about this so for me bring equity is all about women's issues aren't women's issues to solve by women they are societal issues we need to change because actually it will improve life for everybody great flexible working on the news today it's the 21st of february when we're having a chat is the four-day week and how that has been a success now that isn't about women in those workplaces that's about everyone and the feedback was they're happier they're more productive their well-being has risen things that we probably all could guess or or know and actually i just think we need more of that and international women's day i guess gives me a shot in the arm when i'm like deep in the doldrums of all the news and, and hopefully leads me to stories and women that I didn't know about. And I go down a rabbit hole of researching them. But it also enables me maybe to enter those spaces that didn't think they wanted to have a chat with me. But, but here I am talking to them about the kind of systems change that that we need. So I think it's a moment for us to disrupt. And I love a bit of disruption and I definitely
0: love a bit of female empowerment. So any of that. Oh, yeah. All of that. Bring all of that. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask you now, Katie, the Womanthology community is a wonderful and diverse group of people. But how can the community get involved and support what you're doing at BITC? What would you like us all to be doing after we've finished listening to this? Yeah. What would you like us to be doing? Okay. I
1: imagine quite a few of you are employees of some kind or work somewhere. So there is no... Better army than the employee army. So go out there, actually demand this change, understand what your policies are within your workplace, ask the questions around things like equal parental leave. Even if you're not a parent, ask the question around menopause leave, like raise this up the agenda. And that's easy for me to say, isn't it? You might not feel comfortable doing that. But if you feel comfortable, do that. Go out there, really understand what is available. And then signpost, you can go to the BITC's website. We've got a whole case study, plethora of organisations who've made the change. So if they say, well, that's a bit difficult or it might cost too much, we've got examples of people who've already done that. So use that in your conversations. I would also say, you know, if you're not in the workplace or you're looking for it, have a look at some of our resources, have a look at the top 50, think about the types of employers and the types of job and flexibility that you want and again ask those questions as you're looking at recruitment opportunities and make sure that is front and centre and really try to encourage change I guess through your own journey because if we all ask those questions that's a lot of people calling for it and demanding some of that change I think more broadly if you are part of an organisation come to our events most of them are online now are free listen take part share what is happening with you engage in our activity download some of our toolkits if any of you are line managers if you're in senior management if you're leaders then definitely look at some of the culture change programs that we've got and just take part build help us build a uk plc that has everyday inclusion at its heart
0: that's what i would say sounds like a good plan so we're at the final question katie i can't quite believe we've got we're at the final question and it's gone really fast for me what is coming up next for you what are you looking forward to what are you excited about so that can be in work that can be out of work that can be anything you want
1: so I'll do an in work one which I think is really important for us to talk about I am actually gender equality campaign director on a comment because Charlotte Woodworth shout out Charlotte in case you listen to this is the Gender Equality Campaign Director at BITC and is on parental leave. And so in the next few months, I will be working on handing the campaign back over and really hope that throughout that parental leave, we have managed to strike that balance of how do we co-design the work plan ahead, but also importantly, how do we ensure women have a great experience of re-entering the workplace following parental leave and how can I enable that? I am the custodian of an amazing campaign. And so going forward, I'm looking forward to that reintegration into working with Charlotte and to handing back over the baton. So that's a workplace one. And I really hope that anybody who's going through something similar on either end, if you're either returning to work post parental leave or p- post a break, I hope it goes well. And do look at your returner programme. If you're the one passing on the baton, do that with grace and do it. Collectively and collaboratively. So, I am looking forward to that. And then, more widely, ooh, what am I looking forward to? I am looking forward to, I do quite a lot of community. So, the bit I probably didn't put in about my backstory, if you like, is that I've had a flirtation throughout my life with politics and thinking that policy change is the way to really yield change. So, I do quite a lot around communities and communities of women. So I'm looking forward to over the next couple of months, I've got a few sessions with different groups of women in the community looking at some of the challenges that we face locally and trying to work out how we can build that change. So I think just coming together with a group of interesting women to see how we make change locally is going to be a great thing for me.
0: Well, it sounds very exciting. So we've got a, an exciting few months coming up. But whatever we can do to help and support you moving forward, Katie, then we are here. So use us, for shout-outs, use us for whatever you need. We're here and we're right behind you. So thank you so much. Thank you, Fiona. it been brilliant. As Inesh Santos, our associate editor, is up on her holidays at the moment, I'm bringing you the new stories in the written issue on her behalf. Stories include... Sarah Shaw, Head of Planning at Glasgow City Council, discusses feminist urbanism in the city and what that actually means in practice. She also shares how good design for women is actually just good design for everybody. Emily Summerfield is a Royal National Lifeboat Institution volunteer lifeboat crew member. She tells us about listening to her lifelong calling to save lives at sea. She also shares how she'll be spending time with her young daughter to mark this year's International Women's Day, discussing the women who have sacrificed so much, sometimes even their lives, in pursuit of advancing women's rights throughout history and up to the present day. And finally, Emily Walker, Head of Media and Brand Marketing at Arnold Clark, tells us why it's so important for the company to create dynamic and diverse adverts and marketing that reflect a life That feels familiar. She shares the vital importance of International Women's Day in reframing how women are perceived in the workplace, too. Do check out our website, womanthology.co.uk, to read the full stories. Sadly, that's all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share the link for the show on social media and also follow the show. Your feedback is really important, so please do rate and review the show in your podcast app. Join us in the next episode on Written Issue, where we reflect on some epic women from history.